Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks, five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. I've never seen so many trees in my life. As W.C. Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. Welcome to episode two of the Log Ladies podcast. I'm Sangeeta. And I'm Katie. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about the pilot episode of Twin Peaks, which is a really long episode. (laughs) I mean, we'll get into this, but it was, it's a movie length episode. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed the extra length. I was not quite expecting it, but it it does feel quite self-contained in a weird way. I think the situation was, at least in Europe, when they released it, they released it kind of as a movie. I know the first time the pilot episode was ever shown was in February of 1990 at a film festival, the Miami Film Festival. So ah. that's, that's the vibe, I guess. Right, so it is supposed to potentially stand alone if you want it to. But yeah. having just watched this, can I just say, it It does not stand alone. It's confusing. What's going on? I'm intrigued, but I would not be happy. I would not be satisfied at all if it just ended there. I would be furious if it hadn't been the rest of the series. But I think it was in um, Europe as well. It was 20 minutes of extra footage were added. Yeah, I, I do have an international version, I think, on the box set I have. But I haven't actually listened to it yet. Or watched it. Where, yeah, I can listen to it as well, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I'd be intrigued probably to come back and have a like watch through the, that and just see. Because they've got like an alternate ending on that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, That'd be interesting. Because I don't think I've actually seen that. I've only seen, seen the show on Netflix, honestly. So yeah. I any of the special features. Log lady <laughs> intros, which we can talk about. Absolutely. I decided to watch it with the Log Lady intro. Um, I am slightly obsessed with her. I can understand why she's such a cult character. Kind of why we named the podcast after her. Yeah. <laughs> we like her a lot. Um, I I think it has like, um, I don't know. I mean, should we, should we go through some of the basics of the episode first? Just like the, yeah, um, we got some like... We get too into it. So... This episode um, was technically episode zero, not episode one. Uh, It was directed by David Lynch. It was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch together. And at its premiere, it was viewed by 34.6 million people. And that's an important number, not only only because it's a lot of people, but because when they started airing the series, that number did drop off significantly. Yeah. I mean, well, that is... I don't know what the most that a um a series usually gets now but i think it's like in the tw- like the most is in like the 20s millions um so it kind of reminds you that a lot of people were watching tv yeah i know that might be like a redundant <laughs> thing to say but this is a time when people were actually watching tv like as their main visual entertainment which is cool and this pilot was ranked 25 on TV Guide's 1997 Hundred Greatest Episodes list. So, cool. It's a, it's a good one. <laughs> it does. It does definitely 
completely set up everything. It really draws you into that world immediately. And I know that we were talking before about the long um, opening theme music, (laughs) but I can understand how it might have gotten... I can see how in the future it might seem long, but at the moment it feels like the right length for a film, like a title sequence for a film. Oh yeah, totally. As it sets up everything that's going on specifically in the town, and then, you know, afterwards you can... I can understand how they it would get a little bit long after you know about town already, but <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's a really good intro for introducing you to the show and like introducing you to Twin Peaks, the town, not necessarily the show. Yes. Um, should I? Would you like to know some things that were going through people's heads the day that this aired on this day? To. So on it was aired on April eighth, nineteen ninety, to the general public. Um, and so this was the day that Nick Faldo won the 54th Masters of Golf tournament. So they were pretty happy about that. Cool. (laughs) Um, it was also the day that King Birendra of Nepal lifted a 30-year ban on political parties. There may have been... (laughs) (laughs) Any (laughs) Nepalese viewers might have been like, yay! Gonna, gonna start up a party, maybe Twin Peaks inspired. Um, mm-hmm. It was also a, quite a sad day, actually. There was a Norwegian ferry mm. called the Scandinavian Star, which caught fire, and 159 yeah. people died in that. So, That's sad. Sort of. That would be on the news afterwards, maybe, or. Mm-hmm. Um, so, quite a sort of a typical. Not that all of those things are typical, but those sort of typical newsy things that were going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people sat down to watch Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I mean, I I wonder what, is it, when you came back to rewatch it, this episode, did you mm-hmm. feel that it was like that much, did, it, did you see it in a new light, or was there anything that was different that struck you about it? I think the... I mean, with my rewatch, I think a really important thing to note is that the first time I watched Twin Peaks, I was in high school, so I was a lot younger, and my perspective Mm -hmm. on the characters was different. Like, I thought Bobby was just the greatest when I watched the show the first time, and now I think he's annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when I watched it the first time, I just thought, he he has great hair and a leather jacket, and he's just the coolest kid in town. I, I did have that feeling as I was watching it that it didn't feel like an 80s, 90s set. And I don't know if that's just what geographically the area... It felt like it was set in like the 50s, just with all the bikers and the leather jackets and the diners and the music. It did feel older, for sure. I think that's, I think that's partially what small towns in the Pacific Northwest are like a lot. Because I, uh-huh. growing up in the Pacific Northwest, I spent a lot of time driving around there you find these little isolated towns and you're like, do you guys know what year it is? Yeah. <laughs> they, um, I mean, they're up to date on things, but just things just don't get updated in small towns as much. So that is interesting right now. Yeah. I mean, it felt very much like, I don't know if it's something that was one of the reasons that David Lynch chose to set it in that specific type of small town, but mm-hmm. like just the character of, um, Gosh, why am I forgetting her name? Sherilyn Fenn's character. Mm-hmm. Audrey. Yes, Audrey. Mm-hmm. She feels like she's from a completely different era. 
everything yeah. is so stylized about her that I was kind of I could tell that David Lynch was intrigued by this character himself. Mm. And it was really interesting to see how she was filmed and how everything was very carefully stylized. And she was very clearly sort of like almost like a femme fatale, but not quite more like oh, a bit yeah. a bit tricky, a bit um Definitely. I love her character. I love the introduction of her character, the whole thing with the shoes. Yeah. That was great. I don't know. That's one of those little iconic moments. I also like the thing, the moment where I forget exactly which character it was. They say something like, don't let them know about Laura Palmer's body being found at the hotel. And Audrey immediately goes into the room. She's like, my friend's body was found. Yeah. Something so, think, um, um, yeah, it's fascinating to have that was so like performed and like very false, but in that yeah. way that it reminds you that what you're watching is um, a TV show rather than it's not supposed to be realistic. Like that's the feeling mm-hmm. that I got throughout was mm-hmm. that this was supposed to remind you that it's not real mm-hmm. in a weird way. <laughs> yeah. I think definitely, um, I don't know how much, how many road trips you've gone where you've stopped in random small towns, but I've done that a lot, and you sort of get that otherworldly sense from a lot of small towns, because a lot of them are isolated, a lot of them, I mean, they can leave, they, they do have internet and things like that, but they stay in that town their whole life, and I don't know, there is a sense of isolation, um, in small towns but one thing I thought was interesting was originally Twin Peaks was supposed to be set in the Midwest I cannot remember exactly which state but um, I want to say Nebraska but I can't Um, but apparently I I can't remember but it was originally called Northwest Passage um, the Mm. show and there was already a town called Northwest Passage in the state So then they're like, well, Seattle's rainy and miserable, and the Pacific Northwest is really eerie, and I don't know, the Pacific Northwest does have a sort of otherworldly sense about it at times. Yeah, that is interesting that it, I mean, um, in terms of thinking, uh, like, it does have, it, it does have that claustrophobic stagey mm-hmm. feeling to it um yeah. having I, I have lived in the u.s but like having not grown up there and i've only really lived in new york which is mm-hmm. very much politan very different from these sorts of towns yeah. it did feel very alien to me yeah because i mm-hmm. grew up in london and we do have small towns sort of in england but nothing yeah. quite as isolated or quite as um that feeling of um everyone knowing each other but then also being very scared I've never really experienced that like being scared of outsiders mm. being scared of like outside corruption which is something that really hit me like a lot that it was supposed to be mm. that's something that's happening here I mean <laughs> just to backtrack a little I just wanted to say my first impressions of this was like whoa why is it in 4-3 why am I looking at a square I was so surprised <laughs> I mean, I know, I know that TV, and I do get this when I watch old TV shows like Buffy and stuff. But I've gotten so used to things being either um, shot widescreen or retroactively made widescreen for Netflix. Um, it's interesting framing. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was also so much brown. I don't know if they told 
um, mm-hmm. any of the production designers that there are other colours. But it was like Fifty Shades of like taupe. <laughs> Fifty Shades of taupe. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if that was an alternate um, project name for it. That just yeah, is... It was extremely stylized. I think we talked about this in the intro episode we did, just talking about the show in general, is that David Lynch is one of those directors that is very stylized. I don't know. I mean, the rest of his movies, I just think off the top of my head, there aren't this neutral color scheme-wise. But he is one of those directors that does have very specific opinions about style. Yeah. Very, very stylized. And the music as well. That, mm-hmm. that bl- is it bl- It's like a blues undertone. Not, mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't quite, I wasn't sure if it was quite going into jazz, but it was something under yeah. the thought. Reminded me of films uh, like Birdman, where you have the same kind of score under it all. That feels slightly at odds with the subject sometimes. Yeah. I think it's um, maybe like some sort of transition from blues jazz sort of thing because I don't know I read that someone described this movie as Blue Velvet meets or this show as Blue Velvet meets Peyton Place and I thought that was interesting like I don't know Blue Velvet obviously is a sort of jazzy song and that Mm -hmm. movie is that song and I think that maybe this was a departure from that in a way like a more ethereal version I don't know yeah there is something <laughs> there's something that makes you feel quite uneasy during it. Um, I noticed that it was really hard for me to when I watch things, I like to think, oh, I know this is like this show or this is like this show and mm-hmm. I found myself able to do that a little bit, but a mm-hmm. lot of the time I was thinking, Oh, this is like a soap, this feels exactly like an mm-hmm. old soap. And then something really serious would happen. I know previously yeah. you were talking about the moment when um, Agent Cooper pulls the letter from under, is it Laura Palmer's fingernail? Yeah. And yeah. it is so dragged out and it feels like it's come from a forensic show. And yeah. it, it's, it's very really different. It's really to watch that, that little moment. I fast forwarded through that moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. Oh, I was just trying to figure out how they did it. I was like, I wonder if yeah. that's a fake nail that they've put into yeah. it. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's moments that it's, it's held slightly too long or um, things that just seem weirdly funny and it kind of makes you wonder if, if things feel out of place and sort of atonal and confusing. I got sort of overwhelmingly. Um, did you have a favourite character prior to this or did this episode um, change your favourite character? I think Agent Cooper is always going to be my favorite. I, if anyone knows me from my social media and my Tumblr blog, like back in 2011 or whatever when I started Tumblr, my URL was Agent Cooper Loves Coffee. And that's <laughs> why my YouTube actual URL is Cooper Loves Coffee. I was trying to like keep the same URL, but it was too long. So that's, that's why it's Cooper Loves Coffee. So. <laughs> always been there i like audrey it's hard to talk about exactly all the characters because i don't right. want to spoil things for you but audrey, <laughs> i i do kind of like bobby the truth is i hate james <laughs> i just think he's really annoying <laughs> i yeah i <laughs> i can see i think cooper is there was a moment 
when before Cooper showed up in the episode, when I was thinking, like, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about this, I'm still feeling, like, a little uneasy, like, it's interesting, but no one's really grabbing me, and then Agent Cooper shows up, and it's like, okay, I get it, I feel like yeah. can, something's happening, I feel like I can get into yeah. it, he's gonna drive me through the rest, because he's the outsider, I guess, yeah, he's right. us. I don't know. He had a lot of great one-liners. He does throughout the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, and and he's saying things about food and like best cups of coffee everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he does have yeah. that habit of going between really really light things into really serious mm-hmm. things in the same way that the show in general, I guess, does that. That it goes from really yeah. light humorous moments that feel almost like they're on like a daytime soap. Uh huh. Um, like, even. Um, an- Sorry. Another moment I really liked was when they were talking about Laura potentially doing cocaine or like an involvement there. And Harry goes, that's impossible. You didn't know Laura Palmer. And Cooper says, you ever been surprised before? And then immediately after he was like, I'm holding in my hand a box of chocolate bunnies or whatever that line was. Yeah. The chocolate bunnies. I love his little asides to Diane. It makes me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I do think. Um, that juxtaposition is just really, it makes you, um, it kind of jolts you out of a lot of it sometimes Mm -hmm. when you do have those moments and you're trying to figure out how you feel about, and I think it maybe stops it from being too, um, aggressively kind of violent a show, despite the fact that it is immediately about a dead body. Yeah. Um, Because you have these sort of intermissions of weird humour and weird little things. I know you're saying you don't like James. I don't... He did annoy me, but I do quite like Donna. I do like Donna. I I can't talk about my personal feelings about it yet, but we'll get to that in later episodes. (laughs) Oh, Donna. No, it's not about her. It's just... I don't. I can't say anything because it sort of relate. It doesn't relate to the char- character of Donna, but to be vague and mysterious, I don't like it when actors let their personal feelings interfere with the direction of a show. Oh no! <laughs> oh dear! But I do like Donna. <laughs> yeah. I liked her. I don't know. I like the whole thing with her sneaking out and her yeah. sister and that whole. Well, that whole biker gang was very well organized. So she turns <laughs> up, they look around, they distract the guys following her, beat them up while they sneak her out, take her to an uh-huh. underpass road. Everything's so well planned. It's like, but they're only supposed like, to be in school. They're 17-year-olds. How are they doing this? <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting because, I mean, a lot of high school TV shows cast um, people who are older and then they go through situations and you're like, how are you... How? Yeah. When How I are you doing this at age sixteen? <laughs> yeah. I also really like um, Josie. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She seems quite badass. Yeah. She was originally supposed to be played by what is her name? I can't remember. The lady from Blue Velvet, I think. 
She's supposed to be an Italian character. Uh, Isabella Rossellini? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I can see. I don't know why she was. Yeah. I don't know why she wasn't, but I just know that's originally. But I like the way it turned out. So. Yeah, I did think she. There's something about her poise, I think, as a character. Mm -hmm. She's still quite mysterious, but it was also really sweet the end where the sheriff comes to her Mm -hmm. house. But yeah. I just, there was this overwhelming feeling, and I liked watching The Log Lady because it kind of introduced this mm. idea that although it is about specifically like who killed Lauren Palmer, it was also mm. about all these interweaving, like many stories, lots yeah. of people, lots of stories in this small town, and yeah. they do all know each other, but they do all have secrets from each other, and some mm-hmm. of those might come out, and some of those might never come out, and it's just yeah. interesting. I think that's a really good observation because I um, just have watching this show before and doing a lot of research about the direction David Lynch originally wanted the show to go in. I know that originally the whole who killed Laura Palmer thing was supposed to fade into the background and then the show is supposed to be more about other people. So I think there are a lot of very strong and interesting characters with their own secrets. Like, I love the log lady. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. She's, yeah, she's brilliant. <laughs> I I also was thinking, you know, as I was watching it, I was like, wait, so the log lady introduces us to this, so she knows that we exist. She's sitting there like one of those, like, what's it, Turner classic movies where they introduce a movie, or like Twilight yeah. Zone where they introduce the story. Yeah. And then she's Twi- in Twilight the story Zone-esque. as well. <laughs> yeah. It did give me a bit of that. Like um, the log lady. Yeah. I'm also obsessed with Diane because Dale keeps talking to her. Who is she? Uh, is he even sending the tapes to her? Does she even log all of this? Is she his imaginary friend? Is she his mom? Is like who is Diane? It's intriguing <laughs> to me because I know I I don't know. This isn't a spoiler if it wasn't just in the pilot. But um, there's one thing where he records him um, asking her for something, and then a couple of recordings later, he says, "Diane, thank you for." whatever it was. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But there is insinuation that he is getting a response or there's no Diane and he's crazy. I know. I was <laughs> trying to figure it out. Um, one last thing that I thought was fascinating about it is I kept feeling like it, I didn't realize it would only be a day. I kept feeling that I it had been like more, several days and then it would only be mm-hmm. like 10 a.m. And then he only shows yeah. up halfway, but it's still, like, the afternoon that day. It's like so many things were happening, and it's yeah. such a long first episode that I kept wanting to check my watch almost, to be like, wait, how is yeah. all this, how is it still only, like, 9am? <laughs> What's happened? Yeah. I know the curtains what, are here. <laughs> what is the timeline? A lot happens in this singular day. Yeah. I definitely felt like they were using that sort of overlapping timeline, so, you know, we were going to see one character... And it was almost mm. like the other character was on pause for a bit, so that by the time we come back to them, but it's as if no time has passed or something. It was interesting. Mm. It was quite confusing to watch, and that again was like adding to that like uneasy, disorienting feeling, which I, I'm assuming is intentional. <laughs> I think so because I think he did. The last word I wrote in my notes was just uncomfortable <laughs> around yeah. the part with the with the stairs and Laura's mom, and I don't know that one shot of the stairs was just. Yeah, shots are held you just know. slightly too long. Mm-hmm. Like, I like that. Yeah. 
It's almost like a game of chicken with you. Like, yeah, who's going to look away first? Because I, <laughs> I went to, um, well, I didn't go to film school, but my I took a lot of film classes. I was studying film and anthropology. So I took a lot of film making classes. And one thing they always told us was, you know, um, maybe overlap shots or something like that. Like, um, I, I don't know, don't show the whole scene of... I don't know if someone you're sh- shooting someone walking from point A to point B. Don't mm-hmm. just shoot the whole thing. Like shoot their feet, shoot them one thing in the middle, and then shoot them getting there. But right. David Lynch, it would be like, no, I'm going to show you two minutes of them walking the yeah. entire way. And I think it's interesting because I think we talked about how he comes from like an art background. Um, so I think it was all yeah. an artistic choice in a lot of ways. Definitely a lot of like deliberate. Um, subversions mm-hmm. of what you're supposed to do, what you're told to do in filmmaking, and mm-hmm. what he's actually ended up doing, which in its own yeah. way feels unnatural, but it's also, and feels, it felt very different watching it. Like, it, I uh-huh. wasn't, yeah, I wasn't comfortable. That is the underlying <laughs> thing. I felt, like, uncomfortable Definitely. because I couldn't tell what it was. But I liked it. I yeah, just really I wish think... people did more like that. <laughs> Definitely, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of... Um, expectations people have going into films just sort of subconsciously little things like we expect um i don't know certain things people say a lot in movies or certain shots you see a lot you expect them to go a certain way and that's i don't know but like when i watch episodes of criminal minds after a certain point i know the direction the writers go and that's a really um sort of condensed example but david lynch Mm -hmm. surprises you (laughs) Yeah, all absolutely. the time. There is, which I think, is those kind of not monomyth exactly because that's just every story ever. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like those things where is there's only a certain amount of stories that you can tell, and yeah. especially yeah, with formulaic shows or procedural shows like that, you know that like the mm-hmm. crime's going to happen here. Then people investigate it. Then they have a few red herrings, false leads, and then they find the person, and then. They, like, arrest them, and there might be a little bit of social commentary or a twist, but it's generally going to end with them back on the plane to Quantico. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Did you have a a favorite moment from the episode? Um, I'm not sure. There's a lot of moments. I think I like the part where the Norwegians are checking out, and then someone in the background is just yelling, the Norwegians are leaving. Over and over. I I never, like, noticed how funny that was before, but it made me laugh a lot this time. That made me laugh so much. I don't know why. (laughs) That was brilliant. Because it's meant to be like, the British are coming, the Norwegians are leaving, I guess. Made me laugh. I also did, like, um, the interrogation scene with Bobby, when Cooper knows that Bobby didn't do it, and he's still... I don't know. It's an interesting insight into Cooper. A yeah. lot. <laughs> and he always seemed, when, it was immediately after that where he also guesses exactly there's mm-hmm. that moment where he sort of says, oh, let me guess, Jay is a biker. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And then he zooms in on the pupil and <laughs> yeah. you see the bike reflected in this, I guess, super HD camcorder from 1990. <laughs> 1989. Oh, yes. 
I just, I thought those scenes were great because I mean, Cooper shows up and he's like, these trees are great. And then you sort of don't necessarily take him seriously as an FBI agent. And then he has these moments where you're like, oh, he's a badass. He's like really observant. He knows what's up. But at the same time, I felt almost like parodying that thing of like seeing it in the reflection of the people. It's like as if you would see it. It did feel like a parody. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit, like a little bit of a parody. It felt like a parody of soap operas for sure, but it also at some point felt like a parody of procedural dramas, like police dramas. Yeah, I can see like definitely there would have been some influence from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a favorite moment. It's not, I don't know if it says, I think it's, yeah, it is my favorite. It's really weird. So hopefully, (laughs) if I just say boy dancing in the school hallway, Yes, I love that part <laughs> so much. That was so funny. Why? Because you've been listening, it's had the music with Audrey, and she's doing like all her super stylized things, and it seems like she doesn't hear the music. And then the kid is just dancing to the music, and looking, I think, right in the camera as he does it, yeah. which is amazing. And like, then he just so- shuffles off, off frame. Yeah. so funny. It's brilliant. It was awesome. If, even I love if- little things like that. I wonder if there's a gif of that, or if not, I want to make one. But if you're listening yes. and you've never seen Twin Peaks, just watch that clip, because that, that kid is all of us. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite character. I yes. love Cooper, but kid dancing in the school hallway is my favorite. That's that was just so such funny. A brilliant moment. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's also a lot of like interesting, like... Um, really emotional and dramatic moments in the episode. Uh-huh. But I feel like those really absurd moments are what David Lynch was maybe most proud of putting in. Yeah. Like those bits to pay attention to because they're weird. <laughs> yeah. I th- I don't know. I love little moments like that. Just so funny. Little, little funny moments. David Lynch <laughs> is really good at. And I think he's like that in real life because I read his Twitter sometimes and he starts every tweet at, with dear Twitter friends. And then he says things like the squirrels. He talks about the squirrels in his backyard and all this random stuff. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> he does seem like a very interesting person. Mm-hmm. Um, would I would you like love to... to meet him to just observe him work, not necessarily be directed <laughs> by him because that sounds kind of scary, and I'm not a yeah. good actress. But <laughs> it would be fun to like be on set for like a couple hours. Definitely, I think he's. I don't know how into documenting it he is himself. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be interested in knowing what the New York Times thought of Twin Peaks? Oh, yes, I would. (laughs) So this is a review that came out April 6th, 1990, um, Mm -hmm. written by John J. O'Connor, writing in the TV Weekend, and it's just called A Skewed Vision of a Small Town in Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. So this was right, like, at the moment, this reviewer knew as much about it as we do, I think. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because he would have seen it, and then he's putting it in. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting because this review is very, um, it, it feels very like normal, which is kind of what I was feeling. Like from this review, he's being like, oh, like Twin Peaks is somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. It's all about how David Lynch was born in Montana, reared in Washington State, and seems mm. to be quite interesting, Grand Mountains and Douglas Firs. Um mm-hmm. 
But I like this quite cool line that he's put in the review. So he says, Enter the good citizens of Twin Peaks, emitting their own various forms of pollution. I like that <laughs> line. <laughs> so it, it, it says, um, you know, how the series does seem to slip into a traditional television form of a soap opera, complete mm-hmm. with ominous cue music. Um, on the surface, things seem comfortingly ordinary, right down to the diner that makes a nifty tuna sandwich and great cherry pie. But as the murder investigation proceeds, all sorts of nasty business are exposed, from betrayals and secret affairs to drugs and pornography. Again, that feels like how you would review a soap. Yeah. Like, and I do wonder Yeah, I do wonder how much how much of a hint this critic had at the time that things are going to get a bit more weird. <laughs> yeah. I would be interested to follow up on this particular reviewer and see if he was the one who was reviewing uh, the following episodes. Just yeah. I don't know. Be interesting to see someone's reaction. Yeah, I don't know because it does sound very, um, I don't know, normal. But I think I think I mentioned this in the last episode we when we talked about David Lynch tropes and themes and how he really likes to sort of deconstruct and break down the concept of the American dream and the idyllic American small town. Mm. And he really likes to point out the, as my film professor constantly said, the seedy underbelly of a small town. That was, right. that was yeah. the way my film professor said it. So, yeah, it it is all about that small town. In some ways, I think soap operas tend to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. So things like Dynasty tend to focus on things that seem glamorous, but then they show all the secrets and the seediness underneath it and all the like, yeah. manipulations going on. Um, which I wonder if that's, you know, maybe a reason that um, David Lynch felt so... was able to slip so easily into, like, a soap opera style. Um, Definitely. They allow you to do that. They allow you to do things that are melodramatic, that... You know, interestingly, soap opera is always supposed to be melodramatic, but in some ways I'm just thinking it does remind me of what, like, an early melodrama would have been. So, like, mm-hmm. melodrama just comes from the idea of, like, that the music dictates the drama. So you have, like, music that goes along with it. So you have, like, evil music and you have, like, mm-hmm. good music. And those yeah. musical cues in Twin Peaks are very obvious I think especially with the running oh, themes and then with the those ominous themes and just really letting the drama kind of meld into it's almost as if as in that moment when the boy kind of is dancing the characters can hear it and they're taking their cues from it yeah I think that's a really interesting point because the more I think about the music which is something I didn't really think about last time I watched it I'm thinking about it this time I think the music seems so natural in the story it seems like it's part of the town or coming from the town Mm -hmm. in some ways or like they can hear it I like that view of it it's interesting because to me the music felt quite unnatural like when they're in the um roadhouse Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is a biker bar, right? I don't know. Oh, that's, Maybe I just that's true. I'm not familiar. That music, the song that she's singing yeah. is so ethereal and odd and beautiful and the theme of the show. But I was like, yeah, why are you playing? That was Motorhead? unnatural. <laughs> yeah, was I was unnatural. wondering. 
But I like mm-hmm. the idea of a biker gang that just appreciates ethereal soft music. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, that is weird. But yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting... I wasn't sure as I was watching. I was like, maybe that is the popular thing in those kind of small towns. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just, but I think the music, the jazzy choices are interesting because I don't know necessarily what music people listen to in 1990. I do know Vogue by Madonna was the top of the UK charts at that time because I looked that up. But mm. I, know, I, I don't know that this like really really jazzy music was right i I wouldn't have that's not the obvious choice it fits really well in my opinion but it's not what i would have picked i don't know what i would have picked but if you were trying to be realistic it wouldn't have Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely be interesting to see how that changes or doesn't change yeah. in like the next episode. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I think um, maybe it is unnatural, and that's why I think it seems like it fits really well. Yeah, so it makes it, it so otherworldly in a way. Like it makes this not just the show of Twin Peaks so contained, but it makes the town of Twin Peaks really different. And I think another thing to point out is the fact that. Um, originally the town population was supposed to be 5,000, but the network yeah. thought it was unrelatable or something, so they wanted to be 51. So. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking 51 is not that many. <laughs> no. I don't think there's more than 5,000 people in that town. Yeah. <laughs> Where would they all fit? There's not. <laughs> there's not. It's a small town. I thought 5,000 was good, but I don't know. Yeah, it does feel very isolated, and mm-hmm. part of that, I suppose, is the geography. You know, those beautiful fir, Douglas firs hauling yeah. everything in. The trees. <laughs> yeah, and it's even like, the only way in is that road, and the only yeah. way out, like, the only other forms would be bikes, or like, there's one tree, is there a broken down train they were going to? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I the train. Uh, I kind of don't know how far I can get into it because I don't know how much I feel about it yet, but yeah. that whole imagery of the fact that this is a logging town as well, I feel like mm-hmm. that's quite significant. I don't really know why yet, but like the whole, yeah. that it's all based on chopping down trees and selling yeah, them. It's, it's like some- incredibly Pacific Northwest because I'm from Central Oregon, and if anyone listening is familiar with that area, they'll know that it's... I mean, the West was built because people came out there and started these industries, and the only thing you could really start was a logging industry right. um, as they were building up stuff. So it, it's really, I don't know what the right word is, but really, I don't know, cl- classic Pacific Northwest right. in a lot of ways. Like, literally in the Hunger Games, District 7 is where the Pacific Northwest is, and that their thing is lumber so oh. that's how that's how the pacific northwest stands for lumber i don't know like i would go to restaurants that were based out of old lumber mills and i worked at a museum and we had a old sawmill and all this stuff wow. so being from there it seems like a really like classic pacific northwest thing but that's i don't know right that's really interesting so it's something that they wouldn't 
Ah, that they wouldn't think twice about. That would just seem like a natural thing for a town to yeah. be centered around. Yeah, it's interesting that you point that out because I never questioned it. I was like, oh, it's a town. There's a lot of town. <laughs> right. That's, that's how that works. Yeah, I was but. just wondering if it was, um, I don't know, just something to, well, I think I want to watch a few more episodes <laughs> and figure out what I think about it. But it's just okay. this whole thing of destroying things in order to turn it into something to sell. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If your whole, it's a very, um, what's the word, primary industry as well. Primary industry yeah, based. Yeah, definitely. So. I think, I don't know, I think it just, something about it just makes the town for me. I don't know, it just really makes me understand the town. And I mm-hmm. like the way that there are no, like, there are no brand names. There's no, it's just, it could be happening at any time, like you were saying at the beginning. Yeah. But, and the whole lumber mill thing makes it seem a lot older to me, at least. I don't know. Right. And yeah, it does feel like it's set maybe 30 years earlier, 40 yeah. years earlier. Yeah. Definitely something a bit out of place about it. Mm-hmm. But then part of me wonders, was that just because in the 80s there was a bit of a 50s throwback? They were yeah. kind of reliving <laughs> the 50s in their own 80s way, and then it was like the end. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it just makes me think of, I don't know if you've ever watched Parks and Rec, but it's a, there, Pawnee is like a small town and Aziz Ansari's character Tom is talking about how they're like still in the 80s, like everything comes to the town 30 years late and they don't know, he's like, I don't have the heart to tell them what happens to Kurt Cobain. <laughs> like, like small towns maybe just take a while to right. get new pop culture things. Interesting. Just a little isolated. <laughs> To filter yeah. down. I know that we did want to talk about um, other shows that kind of mm-hmm. inspired. Because you came yes. up with a really good one that mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about as well. Yeah. Um, I think, um, well, there's a whole list. I think we talked about this briefly last episode. But each time I think we wanted to bring up one new one and talk about it briefly. But the one I thought of for this one was The Killing. Which yeah. is based on a... It's a Danish remember. TV show. Okay. But there's an American version that's set in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And the tagline for the killing that they used on a lot of ads were, was, um, who killed Rosie Larson? Which should sound familiar if you're yeah. watching Twin Peaks. Definitely. I mean, I was watching it and I was like, even just from when the body, they discover um, Lauren's mm-hmm. body right at the start, I was like, oh, it's like the killing. Yeah. And then even just like the fact that I know a lot of people spoke about how The Killing was different from a lot of shows that were on around the same time because it just focuses on one investigation, one murder. Mm. And they were saying like, oh, no, normally TV shows have one per episode and it feels really slow moving because of that. But then I was watching Twin Peaks and I was like, oh, actually, no, The Killing wasn't that revolutionary (laughs) to do that because they were doing that in Twin Peaks. The whole yeah. episode is about just the first reactions to this poor girl's murder mm-hmm. or death or I don't know. I'm still confused as to what's happened to her. <laughs> I don't want to judge um, her too much because I don't know, but <laughs> that safety deposit box, eh? Yeah, it's a lot of Girl Scout cookies. I like that that was Agent Gober's reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a lot of Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I 
it, even the feeling of um, a very overcast, because I know that that was something that they they picked Seattle to set the American version of the killing in because mm-hmm. um, Denmark is a very cloudy, overcast country. Yeah, don't really have much sunshine, so they couldn't really set it in LA because it that's part of the atmosphere of it. And then yeah. also in Twin Peaks, there's never any sunlight. Or yeah, like barely exactly. Any. Like. That's such a good point that the killing was set in Seattle because it was overcast all the time. Like, it's not even an exaggeration to say that everyone in the Pacific Northwest has seasonal affective disorder and we're all, like, (laughs) moody in the winter. And it's just stylistic, aesthetically, that's the word, aesthetically, the Pacific Northwest is such a good place to set these crime dramas because it's... (laughs) England know, is just yeah, a, yeah. You, England is quite similar. A lot of Scandinavian countries have the same sort of overcast, mm-hmm. but you're right; it does give that atmosphere to it. Mm-hmm. A so, lot of shows that all we'll get it. I don't want to mention all of them in this episode, but there are shows like Bates Motel that's set in Oregon that has that cloudy aesthetic and right. all of this. Pacific Northwest is just a good place. I think people are starting to figure that out a little bit more. <laughs> so, Grimm, I don't know if you heard of that. That's not really tw- Twin Peaks related at all, but um, Grimm is set in Portland. Okay. It's cool. an interesting part of the country. Yeah. And mysterious. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, the only thing missing for me that... I thought it was, I was getting a lot of feelings that it was very similar to The Killing, even in the whole thing of following a lot of different characters and maybe you're not sure how involved they are and like what you feel like you're being misled the whole time, everyone has secrets. But the thing missing for me was um, in The Killing, I'm not saying it was bad, but in The Killing, what mm-hmm. I really enjoyed about it was that the lead detective, I felt very emotionally attached to her. And yeah. I felt like I really wanted her to solve the crime and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed seeing how she tried to do that and you know, when she did get into trouble I was worried. With Cooper, I feel like he's so stylized. I don't really yeah. care. Like I know he'll be fine. He's not a real person. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good point because I think one thing about the killing is that it's it's made for television audiences in a way that Twin Peaks wouldn't have been. David Lynch would never try to make anyone comfortable. But right. The Killing is really good, but it, it's very real. It's very, in in some ways, like, the character feels like a real, fleshed-out person, the main character. Yeah. But whereas Agent Cooper, is, he's totally weird, and he's more yeah. concerned about trees than other things, and he, um, I mean... We'll get into it in later episodes because there's some you haven't seen yet, but he does feel, I don't know, it's sort of, it's that soap opera thing a little bit, I think, with how these characters are are put together, almost. Yeah. Like, they feel like characters. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. No, I like absolutely. Log- yeah. I think, not to go too um, analytical <laughs> into it, but it does feel a little, like, Brechtian, so um, instead of letting the audience get swept up in the story um, Mm -hmm. because we believe in it and, you know, really, like, not really thinking and just getting swept up in it. We're constantly aware that this is a false story 
and mm-hmm. the acting is slightly over the top and the characters are exaggerated and things don't quite go and you remember that you're watching a TV show like constantly so your brain yeah. is engaged throughout like even as you're just analyzing mm-hmm. what's going on so I'm quite hopeful that there's like some cool things that he's doing that for like reasons why he's yeah. keeping us thinking yeah I think that's a really good observation too is that um with all of those unexpected twists and unexpected choices that he makes as a director it really you can't like half watch Twin Peaks you can't have it on in the background yeah you Um, just get confused (laughs) you have to like really pay attention yeah and I like that (laughs) is that um Ver-Dung's-Frum's effect or something it's like called like alienation effect okay Twin Peaks (laughs) (laughs) Twin Peaks (laughs) So, um, should we should we talk about our uh, social media that we actually have this time? Yes, and we let's have, uh, do that. Um, you, yeah, that- if you, <laughs> if you're watching along with us, or if you want to let us know what you thought about this episode or the next episode, which we're going to be watching and putting up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, which is episode one, but it's technically the second episode, so don't get confused. And our episode three, to make it yes. even more confusing. <laughs> We're just putting numbers all over the place. Um, if you would like to do that, then um, you can contact us. Uh, you can either tweet at us. So we're at the Log Ladies. And you can see a little And we have a Facebook page. Yeah, we have yeah. a Facebook <laughs> fan page. It- um, I think it's the Log Ladies podcast because the Log Ladies was taken. Am I right? I can't. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's just the Log Ladies. I don't um, know. Let's check. <laughs> w- one day we'll get this uh, plugging our social media thing yes. down. Um, I have a feeling it's just the Log Ladies. Yeah. The lo- It's just the Log Ladies. <laughs> okay, it's just the Log Ladies. I don't know why I thought it wasn't. <laughs> Um, so we're going to be posting up more there, but you can comment, um, we'll have a post up there where we might ask you a question, and you mm-hmm. can answer if you want to, or we'll just all post our answers. Or we'll just do this forever and no one will listen, that's fine too. <laughs> we're we're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you, best way is either the Facebook page, which is The Log Ladies, um, or Twitter, we're at the Log Ladies, or you can email us, um, thelogladies at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll check all of those and see you guys next week. I think and with episode one, our, or episode two, our episode three. Yes. Right? <laughs> okay. So confusing. Th- <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> It'll be episode three, but you should watch episode one, not the pilot, if you want to catch up with us. Yes, the second episode that aired. Yes. All right. (laughs) So we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.